The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. How dependable is information that we might get from reading the writings of the Apostolic Fathers or the early Church Fathers? When did the Roman Catholic Church actually get its beginning? These are some of the things we will think about today on Grace in Focus. This is the radio and podcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society, and we thank you for joining us today. The Grace Evangelical Society is headquartered in North Texas, and our mission is to promote a faith-alone gospel and a free grace theology. You can find out more about us and read our daily blogs by going to our website, faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. Now with today's question and answer discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates. All right, well, I'm here with Ken Yates, and I believe you have a good question there. I'm going to start off with this one, and this one is from Jake. Okay. He asked something that when you go to seminary, this is often an issue. He has a question about the early church fathers. Oh, yeah. And I guess the first thing I would just say is, as I go back into the recesses of my mind, there's a difference between the apostolic fathers and the church fathers. Yeah. The apostolic fathers are the ones who came right after the apostles. Right. So the earliest of them. And then right. the what we call the church fathers were those who came after them. Is that the way you remember it as yeah, well? Yeah, except I think the church fathers is a is a bigger circle. The apostolic fathers are within the church fathers. So right. they are church fathers, but there's a special group of church fathers that's like the generation or two immediately after the apostles. And they're called the apostolic fathers. Yeah. And sometimes you'll hear, for example, that these guys, some of them, actually knew some of the apostles. I think Clement of Rome, I think he wrote in like 90 or 100 AD, something like that, and knew some of the apostles. And And Polycarp, right? Don't they say that Polycarp knew the apostle John or or something like that? And so this question that, that Jake gets to is he says that there seems to be an infatuation with these guys, but when he reads them, he sees a lot of errors in their theology and how should we view them. And I think one of the issues that comes up here is we think, well, man, if if a guy like Polycarp knew the apostle John and he writes, he's got to be right. (laughs) I think that's the mentality that people have, right? Yeah. I mean, to give a modern example, I know lots of people who went to Dallas Seminary back in the day when it was the golden era, right? During the 70s and early 80s, who later became Episcopal priests or Catholic priests or left the faith entirely. Sure, it happens all the time. And you can't say, well, because they sat under John Walvoord or Charles Ryrie, they must have it right. No, not necessarily. Like how many people who went to DTS are no longer dispensationalists? Oh, yeah. So even if Polycarp did sit at the feet of John, he may have said, well, I don't buy that. Or Well, or, let's go even earlier. How about... The Judaizers in the first century that were abusing the churches in Galatia. This is during the ministry of Paul, and they're contradicting Paul. Right. Well, are these people who maybe had heard some of apostolic teaching? Probably. They may even have heard Jesus' teaching. Mm-hmm. But yet, they're proclaiming a false gospel. And, of course, First John 2.19 
There were people who were a part of the Jerusalem church for a time and left because they didn't fit doctrine. They went out from us. Yeah, and so, because they were not of us. Yeah. Well, to get to Jake's question here, what were some of the errors? It's been a while since I've read some of these guys, but when you read the church fathers, it covers a couple centuries here, you know, or however many centuries it covers, maybe let's say three centuries after the, I don't if know where I they cut right, it off. I think it goes to the end of the fourth century, okay. but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Augustine would qualify as a, a church father. I think he would be toward the tail end of the church right. fathers. But yeah, the church fathers, we had to read them mm-hmm. in the doctoral program, right, right. in the New Testament. Right. And so I remember reading the church fathers and I remember being kind of appalled at the lack of understanding of the New Testament that was reflected in these writings. Of course, that was especially true, I would say this to Jake, concerning the free gift of everlasting life. They didn't believe it was a free gift. They thought you had to buy it. They believed in a—basically, this was nascent Catholicism. It was—the Catholic Church probably—most people in church history say you—I think the first pope was in the— late 5th century, right. and you really can't call it the Catholic Church until around the late 5th century. But this was Catholic teaching, more or less. Which is interesting, because you know the Catholic Church says, well, we're, we're there from the very beginning, which mm-hmm. they weren't. And the Orthodox, of course, claim the Church Fathers, and the Catholics claim the Church Fathers. But the thing is, they can have them, <laughs> because the Church Fathers are much like reading any Arminian today. They were Arminian in their theology. They believed you could lose everlasting life, and they believed you had to turn from your sins in order to be saved. I remember when I worked on my dissertation on repentance, I believe it was the Shepherd of Hermas, which was the first one that said you could have a second opportunity for repentance. Because in the very, very early second century, what they were saying was, once you were baptized— all your pre-baptismal sins were covered. And now you had one opportunity to repent before you died. You couldn't repent more than once, so you had to be really careful. So what? you know what people did, Ken? Well, yeah, they waited till they got old before they got baptized, They right? were on their deathbed. Sure. And right. they would call for the priest. So then Shepherd Hermas comes along and goes, no, you can have multiple opportunities for repentance, but we're not exactly saying how many. Right. And then what would happen, They this idea of the mourner's bench and all that, they, of course, in Catholic thought, you had to be partaking of communion in order to retain your salvation, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, that's why they do last rites, is because you're having communion just as you're expiring. So what would happen is the priests had the power to determine who could take communion and who couldn't. So if someone came to them and confessed some big sin, well, their penance might be two years at the mourner's bench or one year at the mourner's bench. And it was pretty strict. And so if they died during that time, it was too bad because they weren't, unless, of course, they gave them last rites. I don't know if they would. But anyway, that type of thing went on until finally the church fathers decided, no, you could have unlimited number of repentance. But it all went through the priest. So the priest had to determine what penance you had to do. It's coming. It'll be here before you know it. What am I talking about? The Grace Evangelical Society's National Conference 2024. 
It will take place May the 20th through the 23rd at Camp Copus, an absolutely beautiful campground in North Texas, right on the lake with lots of recreation, great food, a great place to stay, wonderful fellowship, and wonderful free grace Bible teaching. It is time to start planning and getting registered for the National Conference 2024, May the 20th through the 23rd. Hope to see you there. Obviously, what Bob is saying points out the fact that these guys were heavy, heavy, heavy into works. And I remember Craig Glickman being in class with him many, many years ago, and he made the comment about the church fathers. He goes, it seems like the first thing these guys forgot was the grace of God. Thomas F. Torrance, a famous church historian, he wrote a book called The Doctrine of Grace in the Apostolic Fathers, using (laughs) your term, the Apostolic Fathers. And he said to a man, they lost the concept of grace. Now, one of the questions that someone like Jake might ask, say, well, wait a second. Again, to go back to my original comment about some of these guys actually heard John speak. So how could they have done that? Well, you've already given part of the answer. But another part of the answer is, at least I've had it explained to me, that these guys were the quote unquote leaders of the church. And they had to deal with pagans coming into the church as the church was expanding, and well, they were coming in from very immoral lifestyles. How do we keep these people under control? Well, one of the ways we keep them under control is to threaten them with hell. Right. You know, I'm going to threaten them with hell. Uh, you got to go to the mourner's bench. you got to come to oh, us. But, but that kind of thing never happens today. <laughs> right. Right. There are no Protestant churches that threaten people with hell if they get off the way. Oh, wait a minute. There are. Yeah. In fact, doesn't Lordship Salvation do the same thing? It's a clever way of doing it. But they basically either say you weren't saved in the first place if you don't live the life and persevere, or you fail to win what they call final salvation. Sure. You got initial salvation, but you don't get the final. But in answer to uh, Jake's question, it's not just the doctrine of salvation. It's basically all of the issues, infant baptism, for example, they're they're off on that issue. And communion. My goodness, when you read it. And I would just challenge any listener. You can get these works in English, obviously. You can read them in English. Just read it, and you'll say, what in the world are these people talking about? You know, where the church leaders can say, okay, you can't take communion for such a period of time. And by the way, if you don't take communion... You're going to burn in hell forever. Right. This power that they would have over the people, and and that's another reason why they do it, or they did it, is because of the flesh. They wanted the power. I mean, what power is this that you can tell people if they're going to be in the kingdom or not? Well, you know, they say power corrupts and absolute power (laughs) corrupts absolutely. And what happened in Catholicism over time is that making people stay away from communion for a year or two went away. And now it became, say, 30 Hail Marys or 50 Hail Marys or, you know, whatever. They were minor, relatively minor things. But then during the Middle Ages, they were actually selling indulgences. Sure. So you could pay money in order to go out and have an affair or have a mistress. And if you paid so much money, then you would get forgiveness in advance. And, you know, this question by Jake is a really good one because in— In the current day theological discussions we have, one of the things that comes up, well, free grace theology can't be right because they didn't believe it in the early church. None of the church fathers believed it. Right, right. Well, I'm telling you, these guys, what they taught was disgusting. It was horrible. It was evil. Let's just say it like that. 
to threaten people with hell and that they had the power to give life and not to give life. You read, and again, I would just challenge to read what they wrote. And you just say, well, no. Read Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's his most emotional letter. In it, he is extremely upset. It's his most emotional letter. Everybody recognizes that. And he's upset because these people are proclaiming a false gospel. They're saying justification is not just by faith in Christ, but by faith plus works. But that's what the apostolic fathers taught. And that's what the church fathers taught. Guess what? That's been taught throughout church history. I remember I did a brown bag at Dallas Seminary back in about 2006. And a young man came up afterwards and said, you know, what you just said contradicts 500 years of church history. You hear that a lot. And I said, well, first of all, why pick 500? Why not pick 2,000? Shouldn't we all be Roman Catholic if we're going to base it on church history? Why would we be Protestant? But secondly, if you want to be Protestant, why pick Calvinist? Most Protestants are Arminian. So why aren't you Arminian? (laughs) I mean, if the issue is church history, then let's not even read the Bible. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't want to go to a church that teaches what these church fathers wrote. I wouldn't want to be a part of it. No, I wouldn't either, but it's gaining momentum today. Sure. The Orthodox and the Catholic churches are gaining a lot of momentum. Well, thanks so much, Jake, for your question. And remember, Ken, what are they supposed to do? Keep grace. In focus. There you go. Amen. We invite you to check out our Monday, Wednesday, and Friday five-minute YouTube videos at YouTube Grace Evangelical Society. You will love the content and learn a lot. There are a lot of costs involved in staying on the air. That's why we so much appreciate our financial partners. If you'd like to learn how to become one, you can find out more by going to faithalone.org. On the next episode, we mention and evaluate the website heavenornot.net. I hope you will join us, and until then, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.